Good morning, how are you? Let's try that again. Good morning, how are you? It's getting better, so we'll try one more. Good morning, how are you? Nice, nice. Sounds like a kindergarten teacher, doesn't it? I, you know. Hey, we are so uh, glad to be here. Uh, we love this conference. I mean, we do uh, about three conferences a year at Hume. Uh, the Pastors' Conference is the, is the one that, uh, that we really identify with uh, because of our history in the pastorate and uh, really our call to ministry is through uh, the pastorate. And we just have a different uh, vehicle right now instead of being in the local church uh, between two trees is the vehicle that we get to shepherd marriages uh, around the country and around the world. So it's been very exciting for us. I, hopefully you've got one of the handout sheets. We'll explain a little bit more about that. If you want to take notes, take notes on the back side of that we don't have an ongoing outline for you. Uh, there's two books that we would like to recommend to you. One is uh, Bruce Wilkinson's book called The Dream Giver. Dream Giver is a, uh, an, an analogy, a allegory, allegory mm -hmm. of, a, of a little guy named uh, Ordinary who lives in the town of Familiar. And Ordinary is given a big dream, and it's very uncomfortable living in the town of Familiar to be a person with a big dream. And yet, uh, the allegory is the story of how uh, Ordinary takes a hold of that big dream and really begins to pursue uh, what God has for him as he becomes a dreamer. So that's the Bruce Wilkinson book. The, uh, the white book over there is the book that Rhonda and I did on a theology of marriage. Uh, marriage, its purpose, mission... Uh, and theology for a foundation for a changing world. As the world changes and the definition of marriage changes with it, we looked at the idea and said, you know, what the church needs today is a theology of marriage that is uh, interdisciplinary. So it's written by biblical scholars, theologians, psychologists, philosophers. Uh, just looking at the idea, if you'd like a copy of that, the white book is there for you. If you've not gotten a copy of that before, uh, if you've got a couple of people in your staff and you'd like to take it to them, we've got more copies. Pick those up and run with them. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I was reminded last night at dinner by Rick I was sitting next to, and he said that we'd uh, last year ate in that smaller dining room, and I said, I don't remember that, and it's because I wasn't here. <laughs> and uh, this is a picture of why I wasn't here. Those two baby girls were born last year, and I had the privilege of being bo with both of their mothers during the birth and the, the aftermath, about a month with each of them, and it was very special, but it was strategically May and September, so I couldn't be here with you last year, but that's our crew. Our oldest is behind me, uh, Rowan. She's 15. Molly, 10. Sam, 8. Luke on this side, 7. Caleb, 4. Agnes, 16 months. And um, um, Kara turned 1 on Sunday. So <laughs> very fun, very fun uh, assignment kind of where my sweet spot is. <laughs> we didn't start with grandkids. We would have if we had had the choice, but we actually have children. We actually have children that produce these for us, and, and we've pictures of them somewhere, but we can't find them. So uh, it's all good. It's all good. Hey, for us, our great adventure that we call marriage began November 12th, 1977. When did the adventure begin for you? 
Helen Keller made the statement, the life is a thrilling adventure or nothing at all. Uh, We believe that that should be the statement made about marriage. Marriage should be a thrilling adventure or nothing at all. It all began that way. The idea of the confluence of two uh, people coming together, two lives coming together in the most vulnerable context imaginable, naked and unashamed. When two rivers come together like that, they call it whitewater or rapids, and those whitewater rapids are classified, categorized into six different stages, depending on the amount of adventure and the amount of risk involved. On your wedding day, uh, you stepped into a great adventure, uh, and that adventure has been uh, categorized probably at more than six stages, but you could make a parallel with every one of those six stages of what they look, look at when they talk about rapids and white water and what the adventure, adventure looks like. This is the idea of the wildness and the thrill of being in love, that first love, the passion of marriage. So uh, weddings are a sequential uh, pattern, an ordering of the first love, at least that's what they used to be. Uh, uh, we've seen a huge change in our lifetime of how weddings are uh, actually uh, planned and scheduled in um, our not society. Scheduled. Or not scheduled. <laughs> and so, but ideally, even in biblical times, there was a betrothal. Uh, it wasn't the w- actual wedding, but it was as binding as the wedding. So there was this sacredness to the sequence of the love relationship. And again, it wasn't always first love like we've experienced it in our lifetime and the emphasis on falling in love that our society puts on it. It was actually something arranged by your family and you chose to love that person and fall in love with that person. Uh, And it was a lifetime of of putting yourself in that position and caring for one another. I love that piece from, uh, from Fiddler on the Roof where she, where she says, when he asks, do, do you love me? And she says, well, I've been cleaning for you and <laughs> cooking for you, and I've been doing this for 25 years. Do I love you? Yes, I love you. You know, So it was very different in, a, in another time. But first love um, is the passion. Then comes marriage. That's God's design. And then comes curtain run with the baby carriage. So, I mean, that's how the song goes. When you fall in love, you're driven towards uh, an intimacy of spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy, and all the intimacies. And the Bible calls that oneness, oneness. Marriage secures it and was the design from the beginning. It looked different than it does, uh, I just went over wedding pictures with Dana, and it looks different in different societies and different places, but marriage, something to secure the relationship is what God intended. The passion of first love grabs your attention and takes you for the ride of a lifetime if you're willing to take it. I recently read an article by um, Jeff Bridges. I I just kind of like that actor when he's in different roles, and he was married the same year Kurt and I were to the same woman, and... Uh, different women for Jeff and me. Yeah. yeah. Different women, yes. Um, but he was asked, you know, what is the secret of a lifelong marriage? And he said, don't get divorced. <laughs> I loved it. It was so him, you know. I mean, that's, that's it right there. <laughs> so the idea of first love, uh, the romantic idea of love, but that sense of 
really different, our differences and similarities, is the rush that really pushes us into the relationship. Uh, sometimes, whether we want it or not, we are so compelled by that idea of being in love and all of the even brain chemistry that happens in it. It's the all-in expression that fuels desire, fueled by desire and emotion, and yet the wedding vows come along, and they're the strong bid to security, the commitment. The idea that allows you to sustain marriage for a lifetime. Don't get divorced. That's the secret to a lifelong marriage, but there's more to it than that, and that is the idea of restoring that first love kind of experience. So comes first love. Uh, it says those two powerful rivers come together. Uh, it, it is also the idea of the harbor, the eddies of fun and romance as you leave on your honeymoon and you just are settling into each other. And then finally, the honeymoon has to come to an end. Reality sets in, jobs, in-laws, Thank you notes, household chores, and always that question, who's going to take out the garbage? We recently were in our small group, and um, we only meet once a month, so, and we've only been with each other for a year, but um, we've known each other for 45 years, um, but just not in proximity. And so um, the question, each of us were, are being asked to tell our love story. And so uh, this is very fresh because I told it this week. But uh, we came home from our beautiful trip up the coast, and I was making spaghetti in the kitchen. Kurt had been living in this apartment because it was near our church, and he was already working at that church in Rialto, California. And um, there was a knock at the door. I went to the door. Two plainclothes policemen flashed their badges at me and said, we need to question you in regards to a crime that happened last Friday. The night of our wedding. My heart is beating. Okay, so he took me to the kitchen and went to the bedroom with Kurt, a small apartment, so it's not a lot of places to go. And, uh, of course, our stories matched, and we had wedding gifts all over the, the living room. So um, it, it was true. You know, he, they could tell. And they excused themselves, but they told us it was a robbery rape that it happened in our building the night of our wedding, and Kurt suddenly disappeared, and he, met, he matched the description of the person who was the perpetrator. Well, they left. You know, the, the hysteria should have left with them, but it didn't. <laughs> I fell apart. I was like, I can't live here. This is horrible, because I... I had a car, he didn't have a car, so he was going to be taking my car to work every day. I was going to be in that apartment, and I just fell apart. And I said, probably the worst thing I ever said to this man. And probably. I, I've regretted it ever since, but I said, my dad would never make me live in a place like this. <laughs> so the honeymoon was truly over, because that came out of my mouth. <laughs> turn, turn to your spouse right now, if you're with your spouse, turn to your spouse and, and answer that question. When did the honeymoon end for you? When did you know this is real life? Just take a second and do that. Well, year after year, the spirit of adventure wanes as romance is challenged, replaced by responsibility and routine. And before long, you lose that picture of that couple on your landing or in your bedroom of the wedding portrait. I remember sometimes when we'd go away and leave the kids for different uh, getaways, and we'd come back and, you know, you hit the, the ground running, 
and it seems like there's problems immediately as you uh, enter your home and the sphere of your church. And um, I remember just looking at him and saying, what happened to that couple in Santa Barbara? <laughs> you know, because they, they're gone because those responsibilities come in and, and create a lot of uh, angst for us. Your first love passion and feeling may have been left behind. For some, it's just a few pages, but for others, it's been a long while since you shared that kind of um, romance with one another and understood where that came from because it seems like it was lost. Where did that beautiful couple go and how did that first love disappear? Jesus had that idea of routine and regularity and coolness and maybe even coldness in mind when he called out the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus said this, and look at the verse there, and I'm going to paraphrase a little for you. Jesus said this to the church in Ephesus. He said, you've left your first love. You were doing all the work of being a good church, but you've lost your zeal for me. You lost your desire, your passionate love for me. The love that you had in the beginning, Jesus said, the first love. This is marriage romantic language that Jesus is using, first love kind of experience. It is the, the kind of love that draws a woman to a man and a man to a woman. When you first fell in love, what was that like for you? What were the things that made your heart sing for Jesus when you first fell in love with him, when you first began to follow him? Was it taking walks out in nature and, and God speaking to you in that way? Was it, was it early morning, uh, quiet time with your Bible open in front of you? Uh, the idea of, of contemporary worship music or traditional worship music that really grabbed your soul, a celebrate recovery meeting, small groups where you, you just got together and people were real, the, that just clean feeling of being forgiven. When your heart sang and it was like, oh, Love you, Jesus. And that's, that's called the, the sacred romance. Remember that book about 20 years ago? Um, and it was, it was uh, really a beautiful rendition of actually this walk. And I think this is what uh, uh, Jesus is saying through John in, to the church of Ephesus. He's using romantic language because it is the, the language of our hearts. We understand that. But we think it also applies to our relationships as couples. Um, what was the nature of your first love experience? Kurt and I didn't have the bowl each other over the, you know, this is, you know, I, I can't live without this person. It was kind of a slow burn kind of thing. We were, we were working together. I was seeing his character. I was, I was also dating some other people, but I was comparing them. I wasn't dating him. I was working with him. I was comparing them to him, and it was like this, this friendship that I, I was developing with Kurt, and I was like, this is, this is what I want. This is, we're going the same direction. We have the same passion. Could these passions come together and be the one? And that's, that's how we came together. It wasn't like, you know, I was, you know, gaga over him. Sorry, buddy. But um, I grew to be gaga <laughs> as I realized that he was the very best and what God had for me. So have you lost it? Maybe you didn't start out with the big bang, um, and some people do. Um, but maybe it was the slow burn. And, um, but still, the passion and the, of that experience. But does the man mundane things of life keep us from re-entering into that, to, to remembering that? 
um, the responsibilities of parenthood, the job, the house, the in-laws. This is my favorite. The irritation of little things. Can I hear an amen on that? <laughs> and isn't that the thing at this stage in life that really we are plagued with is those little irritating things. The, the trauma of broken pieces or actually broken promises causes to settle for an okay marriage. And is that door closed or can it be reopened? The idea that uh, Jesus gave the Ephesians a way back as he confronted them with their coolness or coldness, not only did he have a diagnosis, but he gave them a remedy. Uh, a remedy that fits the human soul, that draws a man to a woman and a woman to a man and draws a person to a Savior and a Lord and draws him into that intimate bonding of souls. His remedy is threefold uh, for that love that has grown somewhat stale. Jesus said this, he said, remember, turn around and start doing it again. And so that's what we want to focus on this morning is the idea of one, remember. Remember what made your heart sing, not just when you fell in love with Jesus, but when you fell in love with each other. What became that reminder that your, your favorite song, your favorite dance, your favorite location, your first kiss, those things that stirred that sense of first love between you, what was that like? Remember what that was like. Where did you go on your first date? Where did you go on those dates that just created a sense of romance for you? What were the trips that you took? What were the dreams that you had? Because that's where we want to focus this morning. One of the things that we do when we first fall in love is we dream together. We begin to dream about what God might have for us. We dream about whether there'll be a second date, whether there will be a, a follow-up date, whether we will get engaged and spend our life with that individual. We spend our lives together. What will the wedding be like? What kind of family will we have? Where will we live? Where will we go? What will we do? What will our ministry look like together? Remember the dreams that God gave you. And then second is the idea of turn around. Turn around is the idea of repent. It is, it's do a, a 180. Start from where you are, turn around, and go in a new direction. This is the idea of, of beginning to change your direction and change your mindset. Not just the idea of falling in love again, but choose to love again. Choose to think through what is happening in your relationship in some of that coolness, some of the routine. How do we choose to, to, to have this kind of passion? We have appreciated some of the lyrics of, uh, of Ed Sheeran. Uh, one of the songs that, that, that we come back to often is... Uh, People fall in love in mysterious ways, maybe just the touch of a hand. For me, I fall in love with you every single day. I just want to tell you where I am. So, honey, take me into your loving arms. Kiss me under the light of a thousand stars. Place your head on my beating heart. I'm thinking out loud, and baby, we found love right where we are. Where you are now to reignite that sense of love. So remember from what it was like in the beginning. Turn around have a different mindset. And then the last thing that Jesus says to the Ephesians and what we would say to you this morning, do it again. Create a pattern of renewing your first love. This morning we want to focus on the dreaming idea of what first love is like. We want to give you some, some insight into dreaming. We want to give you some framework into dreaming and help you to move forward with that. Remember what it was like to dream. The truth is, without dreams, there would be no first date, there would be no first days of college, no graduate school, there would be no new babies, uh, there would be no first day of the job, no medical discoveries. Without dreams, there would be no first day of vacation, first voyages, flights, car trips, there would be no great adventures. 
So one of the things that keeps that alive for us is to remember what it was like in the beginning to go back and to dream again. Turn around, do it again. So we want to give you a framework to return to that passion that comes from dreaming together this, this weekend while you're up here. Uh, and we're only giving you a small piece. The goal of this uh, exercise is to reignite this dreaming muscle, which kind of gets atrophied in the ways that we have already talked about. Dreaming, again, regardless of what the season of marriage you are experiencing, a tool to strengthen that ability because some of us are more adept at that than others. And, and leave at least with one dream, as Kurt said, to pursue together and help reignite this and work that little muscle that maybe has atrophied. Dreaming came naturally to you when you were young. Um, don't you remember, you know, the, the things we used to play and the things that we used to dream about being? Um, and here's some examples. But I was um, 12 when my youngest sister was born, and my mother got very very ill with her pregnancies. And so um, in those days, you walked home for lunch and you walked back to school. So I'd come home, make lunch for her, walk back to school. And uh, I also became the cook for the family at 12. And it just happened that that was the year that Julia Child came on TV. <laughs> she was in black and white, but she was a force to be reckoned with. And I just was mesmerized by her. Of course, her voice is very mesmerizing, but uh, her French cooking was just like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. And I didn't learn how to French cook, be a French cook, but I did narrate my cooking in the kitchen <laughs> like she did. So um, it was very inspiring to me, and um, I sort of wanted to be Julia Child. Well, it kind of worked into some part of who I am as an adult. It, it's my spiritual gift. It's one of them is hospitality, and I did my first big uh, dinner party, I guess you'd call it, at 17 for 25 people. So I had this, this kind of innate thing that Julia Child, you know, lit the flame for. But what was it for you? Talk between you. What was Turn the to dream? each other. What was it when you were a child? What did you dream of being when you grew up? Turn to your mate and talk for about 30 seconds to a minute. This is good, good conversation around the table, too, at our meals. So um, we're going to have to boogie on. So the loss of dreaming comes in many forms, trauma to the marriage, failures, disappointments, unfulfilled uh, expectations, routines, a sick child uh, that takes all of your attention to keep him just alive. Those are the kinds of things that can kill this dreaming um, exercise between you as well as the muscle, the musculature that it takes to do that. We often uh, shift to a linear processing of our relationship. What needs to be done today, dear? Tomorrow, what are we doing? Next week, um, that kind of thing. Instead of thinking in the future, putting ourselves in the future beyond the current circumstances. 
We're so often pushed by a schedule, pushed by what has to be done by a calendar. Uh, how many times do we start the day, finish the day, and throughout the day talk about, as Rhonda says, what's next? What's on the calendar? What must be done? And we lose the idea of what does it mean to dream. The sequence of dream it, plan it, do it is the best sequence that we can have. Unfortunately, we often reverse it. We do it, plan it, and seldom do we dream it. And so the idea for us to, to get to that idea of, of dreaming is incredibly important. One of the former presidents of Yale University made the statement, he said, unless I can get th- at least 30 minutes a day with my feet propped on my desk, dreaming of the future of Yale University, I'm no longer the president and leader, I'm only the manager of what happens here. When was the last time that you dreamed about your ministry? Maybe even more potential question for you this weekend is, what was the the last time that you had some dreams about next year, next season for your marriage, for your family, for your career even, and for your kingdom influence? So what we want to do is to give you that opportunity to turn around, dream like you did in the beginning about your marriage, the first love kind of thinking, Uh, the dreams that you had as a newlywed. We want to encourage you to think about your future, to remember forgotten dreams that that were once there, dust those off, brush them, pick them up out of the trash heap and brush them off and move into something new, dreaming new dreams into the idea. Because throughout our marriages, we move through different seasons. Marriages can be divided into seasons, those early seasons of, of spring and then summer comes and we're in the, in the full fruiting of our, of our family, our career and what's going on and we move into the autumn and the fall and we have an empty nest and we have more freedom, we have more opportunity, we have more resources, we can step into that and then the winter comes and we have that great privilege of not only being mentors but being sages in the wise part of the community. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, made the statement, he said, there is a time for everything under heaven, a season for every activity. God has made everything beautiful in its own time. Reflect. What season are you in? What is happening in this season? What is the next season and the seasons ahead? And begin to dream and to place yourself in those seasons because when you place yourself with your mate in the future, you are not only reaffirming and reigniting your passion, but you're looking at that area of dedication, your commitment to each other and saying, I see us 20 years together, which firms your commitment to each other. And those two things together will bring a greater intimacy than what you've ever experienced when you begin to refresh those things. To ignore the inevitable and to refuse to anticipate changes threatens harmony in marriage. But it can be smoothed out when we see marriage, our marriage in the perspective of the whole. The idea of not just uh, the rapids, not just the passion that got us there, not just the, the rapids and white water that happens when our differences interfere with each other, but the idea that, uh, that there is a whole river, uh, that there is a sense of, uh, there's, there's times where there's that lazy river that's, that's not in a hotel but in the, in the natural setting. There's times where we're going underneath a canopy of trees. There's times when we're just in a little eddy and we're just swirling there. Uh, there's times... When, when we can hear a waterfall ahead and anticipate that, see the whole marriage in perspective, not just what's happening right now. Second, understand how problems tend to cluster at certain times and seasons. You know, when, you're, when you first get married and you've got to, uh, those, those times where you may be the first married and all your other friends are single, and it's like, 
wow, their life is so much easier. <laughs> they have so much fun, more fun than we do because they don't have the responsibilities that we have. And then uh, maybe you're the first in or the last in your couple group to, to have a child or to have multiple children. If you're the first, it's like all your friends are still have all this freedom and you're still connecting with this baby. Or maybe you're the last or maybe you don't have a baby and you're wondering... And then you, you, you move into the future, and you're at the, at the empty nest, and, and you're the first one into the empty nest, and uh, you have all this freedom, uh, and, and your friends are just going, wow, someday we'll get there. The, the problems begin to cluster. What our friends don't see when you step into the empty nest, you're also what's called the sandwich generation. You're somewhere between the needs of your kids, uh, adolescent, young adult, and the needs of your parents, and you're trying to figure out how you fit into all of that. And so understand how problems tend to cluster at certain places, and then finally face your own unique cycles. Recognize that you are not at the same place that everybody in your season is. Recognize that you, your cycles are different. You might have a special needs kid. You might have special circumstances. Look at your unique experience and what that looks like and how to interpret that in each, each season. So I've been in a process of that because some of you know some of our story, but we have a varied family. So our oldest son is an Orthodox priest. Um, that was a kind of a shift and a, a longing that he had in college and then led him to become an Orthodox priest. Our daughter is a missionary in Amsterdam with her husband and their kids, and our youngest is a prodigal. So, I mean, we have a breadth here. And um, in this season of um, not being distant in a certain way from each of them, I've just longed for God to give me some security in it, some peace in it. And how do I proceed in it? How, do I, how am I the best mother and mother-in-law, grandma, in these set different settings? And um, the word picture that's come, and it may not fit you, but maybe a piece of it will. So some of you ladies, I think, you know, I know some of your hearts in this. And that is, um, 45 years ago, under God's pr provision, his production, and his direction, we started a play, Kurt and I and God. We were the stars. We were the main characters in that play. And stars. Okay. <laughs> Kurt was a star, and I was a main character, <laughs> and, um, and it was beautiful, and we started off with a, a baby six, we got pregnant six months after we were married, and so our second year, we were parents, and, and we just took off running in that direction, and we added three new main characters to this beautiful play, and we had ups and downs. They were co-stars. <laughs> okay, and they... they um, they acted like main characters. You, you know what I mean. <laughs> and um, we, we just loved it. We loved having our family. And uh, we had a chronically ill child. We had uh, one with a very severe learning disability. And we had many ups and downs, but many ups too. And um, that is the beautiful story that we landed in um, about um, mid-50s with. And our oldest son got married first, now 20 years, this, this next January. Our daughter, 11 years ago, and our prodigal is still out there. Um, but in this setting, I realized, you know, I'm not a main character. We're not main characters in that play. That's a new play. And um, as much as I'd like to be on the inside, I'm not on the inside of that. And actually, it would be kind of dysfunctional if I was on the inside of that. 
but coming to peace with that's a play and I want to, we want to, you know, if you want us to move, move soon, scenery, we can do that. We can do that, yeah. Uh, we can finance some of the things in these plays um, when we can. And we can actually have a line in the play occasionally when they ask us to have a line in their play. But we are not the main characters in that play. But it doesn't have to be all sadness because we still have this play. <laughs> And this is a play we want to make a dynamic impression on those seven young little ones that God has given under our umbrella and to our kids and to many others. And so this play continues, and this needs to be a dynamic play as long as God gives us breath. And so we're getting at that, making this a dynamic play that continues. It's really good for us at times when we realize that, uh, that we would like to have a starring role in the other plays and the plays of our kids, we have to tell each other, it's not our play. This is not our play. It's their play. And so we need to step back and move scenery and do what we can to support it. So what are your dreams for this season? Discover each other's dreams for tomorrow. Uh, dreaming again is, is uh, not a locked door. It's a door that can be open if you just risk risk a little bit with each other. And I, th I think that's hard sometimes when we haven't done it for a long time. The story is not over. You can have that sweetness again. And there are dreams for even, you know, when we think that maybe dreams are diminishing, they're still dreams. There's still dreams out there. They might not be the ones that we neglected or couldn't do when the kids were with us, but they are dreams that we can pursue. Marriage, uh it's a great adventure or nothing at all. Um, marriage is faith-based, isn't it? And isn't that the definition of faith in many ways, or the definition of an adventure, living by faith? Um, when we first marry and the vows that we make to each other, are they not statements of faith? Uh, one of the clearest expressions of what it means to live by faith is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Regardless of what your family of origin was like, when you stood at your wedding, that was the expression of your vows. You had a conviction of what you were hoping for. You, uh, you had the assurance that even if your parents didn't do it, even if you had a history of, of generational divorce, you had the assurance that we can make this thing work and we're making the promises that will secure that. We're moving from that idea of just passion to securing it by the vows that we will make. Truth is... Those are dreams. Dreaming is a faith-driven reality. Dreaming is a faith-based reality. Think of it for just a minute. So we, we begin with our present reality, and we want to move to a future reality, whether that future reality is next month, next year, or we just have friends that have celebrated their 50th anniversary, and it's like we have peers who have a 50th anniversary. As you look where you are and the new reality or the future reality, and you begin to move there by dreaming together, envisioning who, what, and when, and where you will be doing what God has called you to do. That is what it means to dream together. It is the idea of having a vision for your marriage, a vision for your family, a vision for your ministry. What it does is it begins to bring hope to the journey when you're walking together and the days look dark, the days become discouraging, it bring, dreaming brings hope for what is next. 
It also brings the idea of energy to your relationship, and it brings that sense of, of passion back to your relationship and the intimacy and the commitment that you have. It is the idea of what does it mean to dream big and to dream small. Think for just a minute. Turn to your, to your spouse. What was the last great dream that the two of you shared with each other? Just turn to each other. We're just giving you just a second. And so these questions, and we're cutting you short on them, bring them up for the, throughout the rest of the day. Bring them up at your table. What was your last great dream for you as a couple? So go ahead and talk about it just between the two of you. What was your last great dream? Very good. Where do you want me to be? You can tell our, next, our last great dream. Wait, we don't. No, come back to that. Zoom here. Go straight to the dream. I'll take you back there. I asked Rhonda that question on our 20th anniversary. Uh, we were away uh, in Hawaii, and I asked her, I said, listen, I got an assignment for you. Yes, and um, so it was our 20th wedding anniversary. I left my assignments at home. You know, you can imagine, it was my first trip to Hawaii, and I remember just when he said that, thinking I left my church assignments, my kids at home. This is, you know, our anniversary. But I think the Holy Spirit was in charge that day because I didn't say that. I just said, what would that be? Very nicely. <laughs> and I was so glad I didn't say something smart out because I heard the most beautiful words from him. And he said, I want to hear the dreams God has placed on your heart for the second half. You have been raising our kids, doing odd jobs to make it work for our family and do ministry and joining me in our ministry. But God probably has some dreams that he's placed in your heart, and I want to hear those. Well, I think um, it was intimidating to me because he is the big dreamer. And now, between the two of you, who is the biggest dreamer in your family, in your couplehood? Yes. Definitely. Kurt is like a helium balloon. And it just, you know, it has a lot of fun, goes a lot of places, but it needs a stream. Helium, not hot air. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but it needs a string, you know. A helium balloon that's just loose out there is, is useless. It needs a string to hold it, you know, in place and, and direct it. And so um, I'm not a rope. I've been accused of being a rope before, but I'm not a rope. I'm just a string. And uh, so in a, in a sense, it was intimidating to me because that's not really how I functioned in the relationship in those 20 years. And so I just said, you know, that's so beautiful, and I, I'm going to take that to heart, but I don't think I can do that in a week. It's just not who I am. Um, but actually, when I didn't have assignments, um, three days later, God was showing me how I dreamed because I had kind of relinquished that. And it was like, we had more dreams on Kurt's side than we could possibly accomplish in, you know, two lifetimes. So I was like, let's go with those. Those are great. I like them. Um, but when I had the chance, I realized that I do dream. I dream differently than Kurt, and it's nonetheless dreaming. I dream by problem solving. 
That's why I'm the nuts and bolts person in the relationship. Because I dream about how something can be restored, how something can be processed, how we can get from here to there. And that's an important way of dreaming as well. So it was really empowering for me to realize I actually dream too. And it's just as valid as the way Kurt dreams outside of the box. And so uh, our, our anniversary dinner, I said, I think I, I think I have a dream. And he sort of had like that look on his face like Pandora's box was about to be opened. And it was because I suggested that maybe church ministry wasn't where we belonged. Um, and there were certain things that were on my prayer list that I'd been praying about, but God was connecting the dots and showing me that maybe our fit was better somewhere else. And so when I shared that, Kurt said, but it took us so long to get through seminary. And I said, well, that's not wasted. Um, it can definitely be used in this direction that I think maybe God's calling us. And Rhonda asked me a question. She said, what if God gave us a house big enough? Yes, and he laughed, which is, you know, the cardinal rule. You don't laugh at somebody's dream. That's a killer. So <laughs> he's the blank. He's the web blanket this time. Um, so, um, but, you know, I wasn't offended. I was new at this uh, dreaming thing. And so actually two years to the day, we didn't put it on a prayer list. It became part of our, our couple language. We'd go somewhere and we'd say, Beef Wellington, I'm going to learn how to make that for our bed and breakfast with a purpose. Or this, this piece of scripture, I want to make a, a walk and talk out of that for couples on our, on our uh, bed and breakfast with a uh, purpose retreat. So it wasn't, it wasn't just a, a place big enough, but it was a place big enough that we could host couples to look into their marriage, to look into leadership and discipleship. And believers and non-believers, because one of the things on my list was that we were so busy at church, we weren't meeting any non-believers, even our neighbors. And I was very burdened by that. I felt like God was saying, you know, I, I put you in this neighborhood to have a witness, and you're always in your car leaving this neighborhood. And so those were the pieces. And almost two years to the day, Forestone Christian Conference Center called us and said, we've, we've bought a 1928 mountain lodge. We're renovating it into a seven-bedroom, seven-bathroom facility. Would you ever consider leaving the church and coming and helping us create a marriage ministry here? And it was like, oh, my goodness. It wasn't my dream. It was God's dream. And um, he was just kind enough to give us a little glimpse of that so that we could walk forward into it. So in... Uh 2000, we left our church ministry after 25 years in the pastorate and began what we call bed and breakfast with a purpose, and we called it between two trees. And so it was began as a simple question, what if God would give us a house big enough? We had no idea that God would actually give us a 5,000 square foot house that we could use for five years. And after five years, we launched into our own ministry. One dream leads into another dream. And so what we'd like to do is to kind of take you down that road of what we call dream storming. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. I'm going to skip back for a minute and then ahead. Because what we want to do is to take you through the a process of what we do at our Dream Master retreats that we hold uh, in Coronado uh, four or five times a year. The next one is coming in December uh, 4 through 6. November. What did I say? December? November 4 through 6, as it says on the, on the sheet there. The, the steps that we take you through at that time are, are these, the beginning with dream storming, next to dream staging, dream linking, dream scheming, and dream teaming. But this, this morning in, in this 
uh, weekend, we or this is not a weekend, this conference, we want to give you the opportunity to do some dream storming together, which is very similar to what you might do with, uh, with any other creative process. You begin to think through and to, uh, to take the walls and to think outside of the box by brainstorming off of each other's ideas. No idea is a bad idea. That's why we've given you this sheet to help you think through that, uh, to think through dream storming in four areas. We'd like you to think about some dreams that God might have for you. What if God would do this? What if we were not restricting ourselves by resources? We had no idea that God, one, would give us a house to be able to spend five years in developing the foundation for our ministry. We had no idea that God would provide the financing for 20 years of a nonprofit organization. We had no idea all of the things that God would do and all of the answers that God would give to us. And so we want you to begin that this morning. It is not something that can be accomplished in a weekend. And I'm referring to our retreats that we do. It's not something that can be accomplished this week. But our goal and desire is to help you to become lifelong dreamers. And if we can start you here, it is the good direction that we can get you to, to begin moving. So there's instructions at the bottom. So you take the sheet uh, sometime this afternoon. Separate from each other. Get a, get a Coke, get a cup of coffee, a milkshake. Separate from each other for at least an hour. That's all we're, all we're talking about. Take the sheet with you and just ask God to open your mind to some dreams that he might have for you in these four categories. Begin writing them down. You might come up, uh, start with your marriage, and you think of one dream, and you're going, I can't think of anything else. Well, go to the next category and begin writing down some dreams there that might come. And again, it's dream storming because you're going to come back sometime this afternoon, tomorrow, and begin sharing these things with each other. You'll, uh, you'll come to the place that, that as you walk through those things, uh, you'll put a star by one, put an underline others, that, that are things that you can step into that you're most excited about, and those will be the things that take you into the future. So the, the sense of, of moving in that direction, you look at that and you go, okay, this is a little overwhelming. As Rhonda said, for, for most couples, one of you dreams more readily than the other. But the truth is, not only were we created in God's image as dreamers to envision what God's, God has, when we come to know Jesus, we begin living by faith, which is the reality. We have a long history of dreamers. Think of all the biblical dreamers. Who are they? Jo uh, Joseph, Moses, David, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary the, Jesus, uh, the mother of Jesus, Esther, Nehemiah. Think of those, those dreamers and what they were like. And you develop that next big dream for you. And so we'd like to be able to stimulate your thinking now with some of the ideas of what it would be for you to, to open up the box and to begin to dream uh, some big dreams. One of the things you need to do, take a look at that picture. You've seen it before probably. What do you see? An old lady? How many see an old lady? How many see a young lady? How many see both? Yeah. Uh, we're not going to take time to do it. But, but again, perception, the perception is I'm not a dreamer. We go away on vacation. Now I've got to slow Rhonda down. I'm the rope on her dreams to be able to, to keep up with her that we can, can keep going on what's next. But it can also be this discovery, uh, self-discovery for you like it was for me. And um, so we, we actually have a, an idea for if you get stuck, if you have a roadblock in, in this dream, uh, dream storming, which was hard for me in the beginning. 
And that is, you know, have a post-it note or something that you could write and give yourself permission. Permission to dream, permission to, to jettison some lie that's been spoken over you. Um, and for me, it was, it was some lies that were spoken over me. Uh, I grew up in a family that was very structured, and um, there was a huge, it was a fear-based home, and uh, <laughs> fear kind of dominated things, and uh, kind of the mantra of the family was, don't dream things you can't accomplish, that's a failure, and don't fail, because that brings shame on our family. And so you don't dream in a situation like that. You're just like, okay, keep your head down, just do it right, you know, kind of thing. And so it was really, I married the right person because he just, you know, expanded my world completely by allowing me this freedom to, to discover that I really was a dreamer, but I dreamed differently than he. So my, my post-it note would say permission to dream whether you fail or not. God's not counting the failures. He's counting me living out his character Jesus's character in my life going forward. And that part of that is dreaming and expecting and creating and being the person he created me to be. You get to that place where you're stuck this afternoon, uh, just write it out. I give myself permission to dream, to dream what, uh, what God has for me. Often we think of the idea of uh, a big dream, the dream, oh, I have a dream, the truth is a dream begins as a verb before it, begin, before it becomes a noun. When you're sitting there and you're trying to think through that dream storming, begin using some verbs. <clears throat> what are some of the verbs of things that you like to do as an individual, things that you like to do as a couple? Hike, orchestrate, mentor, grandparent, teach, preach, disciple. Think of some of those verbs that you like to do, swim, sail, photograph. What do you like to do? What would it be if God were to enrich those verbs into a dream that became a noun that said, this is a dream that I have for the next season or a season, two seasons out for us? Begin thinking creatively. Think through the idea as well of what, write down what are your spiritual gifts as you're, as you're dream storming? What are the things that God has particularly gifted me to do? And if I were to open the uh, uh, kind of the, the, the windows of heaven and think, what is the breadth of what I could do if I took this idea of helps and used it in other areas? Or if I took this idea of giving and what I could do, or preaching, teaching, healing, apostle, prophet, Take your spiritual gift. If God were to enrich that with new dreams for a new season, what would it look like for you? What about your strengths? Uh, if you've ever taken the Strengths Finder or any other profile that has helped you identify your strengths, write those down. If those strengths were let loose and I could accomplish anything that God might put before me in this idea of a dream, what would it look like? What would I do? Where would I go? Who would we collaborate with? What would it look like? Think about the idea of your personality, whether you've done the Enneagram, the DISC, the Myers-Briggs, write those things down and then begin to, to look at them and to, and to ask God to open your heart and mind for a dream that you might have. And then what we'd like to do is to ask you, uh, after you've spent an hour or so doing that, uh, and again, it's just getting you started, uh, that you would then uh, later this afternoon, tomorrow, sometime, sit down with each other. And just begin sharing those, 
Begin with those that you have starred and underlined. That These are dreams that, that just really stimulate me right now or I think we could step into right away. And begin sharing those with each other. And, and when you pointed a few minutes ago and Rhonda said, who's uh, the, the, the dreaming comes easier, easiest for? The person pointing to the other person begins sharing first because they're more easily intimidated by the other person in all their dreams. I mean, if, if, if it was us, you know, we would start and I would be telling Rhonda, and what was her phrase? Well, it would take us a lifetime just to do your dreams, so, you know, my dreams aren't that important. So the person who dreaming comes least likely for is the idea that they begin this conversation. We're going to finish with uh, some friends that kind of let us inside of the conversation that they had as they were talking about dreams and goals and what it might look like for the next season. And so there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way. The right way is what I just described. These friends uh, would give you some insight in the right way by showing you the wrong way. Take a look at how they did it. Thank you. 
What do you mean, like strangers coming in and out of our house all the time? Yes, Ray, strangers. I'd like to try strangers for a change. <laughs> I don't know, this is all happening too fast. Uh, you don't have to do it today, Ray. I'm just trying to get you thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking I'd better come up with something before I end up with your bed and breakfast. <laughs> Tucking in a gay couple from Cleveland. From the ridiculous to the sublime, and the sublime is where we hope to point you today. Remember from where you have fallen, turn around. Do what you did in the beginning. The sublime dreams that you had leading up to your wedding and on, after your wedding and on the honeymoon, dream again. What if God opened the doors of heaven, and as He does chose to bless you and lead you into the next season or the seasons after that. Rhonda shared last night, we're turning 70 this year. We've got some great dreams ahead. Live the sublime. It's what you were created to do. It's what you were brought together as a couple to do. And it's what you were brought into ministry to do, to live the sublime, fulfilling the dreams that your creator created you in his image to accomplish. Thank you. Uh, again, the books are over here. Uh, the uh, Bruce Wilkinson book, those are $15, and you can just leave the money there on the table. Uh, and uh, if you want one of the, the Theology of Marriage books, feel free to take that. And uh, again, throughout the day, we'll be at meals uh, when we're not doing coaching. Uh, ask us any questions that you have or any way that we can help stimulate this process for you. So very good. Thanks.